This morning in Sabbath school, we were talking about not taking the things of God for granted. I think it's so easy to do that, isn't it? And uh, I just got to say, I never want to take for granted the gifts that God has given us and has given this worship team uh, to lead us in worship week after week. Um, Just the amount of practice that goes in and time that goes in, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Thank you, worship team, so much for for bringing us there. It's a... Amen. Uh, It's probably the best gift we can ever give God is to allow God to use us in that way, right? So we've started this uh, series called Through the Eyes of God. Um, And and last week we kind of launched it and and, uh, kind of began this concept of how does God see the world? How does God see us? How does God see those around us? Um, how does God view what's going on in the world today? How does God view politics? How does God view injustice? Uh, how does God view all these different things? Um, and today, uh, we're going to talk about how does God view losers? Uh, I remember the first time I saw this, you know, somebody did this to me, you know, and I'm like, what are you saying? Make a left? I mean, I don't know what that means, you know? And uh, I, I was just really confused, and, and then somebody had to explain it to me. And, and this, this word, have you heard anybody use this word? Yeah. It's, it's uh, let me start off by saying this before I say anything else. Those whom the world sees as losers are often winners in God's eyes. So let's start off with that premise. Is that fair? Those whom the world sees losers are often seen as winners in God's eyes, and that's what really we're going to be talking about today. But this, this word, we have, it used to be, you know, you lost a game and you were a loser. Okay, you know, you own that. But now it's become kind of a derogatory term, isn't it? You know, you use it if somebody is, is just not measuring up to the standards that you have. And so if they're not measuring up to the standards that you have, then, then you're a loser, and uh, I, I personally think that, um, uh, that, that there's some real challenges there with this concept of being uh, called this. In fact, I believe that Christianity, when probably understood, is a religion that is made up of losers who became winners because of God. Do you believe that? But we don't want to be losers, do we? No, not only do we not want to be losers, we don't want to associate with them either. We pointedly shun losers as if some, somehow their loserness might rub off on us. Or rather, more honestly, we shun them because others might recognize us among their number. But can I just say, I, I'm willing to say that today, I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm a loser for Christ. And the Bible uses the word fool, I'm okay with that too. But I'm a loser for Christ. In fact, I would like to suggest that many of you, you may not want to call yourself that, and you may not want to recognize it as such, but you are losers for the, for the cross. In fact, Jesus says if you're not willing to lose your life, 
you cannot gain his life. How are we doing? I want to take you to this wonderful quote from uh, uh, the First Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says, And remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, losers, and used them to bring them to nothing what the world considers important. Why? As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I love the message version on this. Take a good look, friends. Take a good look. Look around. At who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women, deliberately, deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies, these losers, to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. I don't know, I think sometimes the message really brings it home, doesn't it? But we hear this word all the time, and we hear it in all kinds of circles. We hear it in, I hear it in schools, I hear it in politics, I hear it sometimes in churches. And I think, I think we need to be careful with this, don't you? I want to share with you about a guy who the world considered a loser, is in the Old Testament. Uh, this is such a unique story. I, I, I kind of love this story. Uh, it, it, before he ever came up to bat, Jephthah, that's his name, had three strikes against him. He was an illegitimate child, strike one. He was the son of a prostitute and a womanizer brute, strike two. And he was raised in a family atmosphere of hatred and hostility, strike three. Can you imagine that? I mean, what are your chances of success, of winning in that kind of a situation? Nurture in an overcrowded cage of half-brothers, he was constant target of verbal put-downs and violent profanity and Jephthah wasn't wanted. Have you ever felt like you're not wanted? Has anybody made you feel that way? I've experienced a lot of this in my life. And this is what he did. He compensated by becoming the meanest kid on the block. He got kicked out of his home before he reached young manhood. He took up the lifestyle of a rebel among 
a tough bunch of thugs. He earned the reputation as the hardest hard guy. He was elected leader of a gang. Today, he'd be wearing a leather jacket that said, Tob's Angels or something, I don't know. They ripped and rammed their way through villages like a pack of wild outlaws. Here's what the Bible says about it, in case you don't believe me. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was the son of a prostitute, but a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, but Gilead's wife bore other sons who grew up and drove Jephthah away because they did not want the son of another woman other than Gilead's wife to inherit anything from their father. So he ran away to the land of Tob, where he became the leader of a gang of bandits who followed him. Some of you today may feel like Jephthah, unwanted, kicked out, losers in the eyes of the world. But God has a plan for you. And God has a way, if you listen and if you allow him to, to turn your life into a winning life. Do you believe that? So everything was hunky-dory with Israel until it was not. And I wonder about history sometimes, if it would ever repeat itself. The people of Israel encountered a barrage of attacks from the east as the Ammonites began to want their land back. As time passed and battles raged, the more obvious it became that defeat was inevitable. And they didn't know what to do. So the Israelites realized they needed a courageous gutsy kind of leader who could go toe-to-toe with their new foe. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> you know, they, they had to somehow be able to find somebody that had the same kind of moxie that these Ammonites had. And they didn't know where to go. And they finally decided, well, guess who they thought of? Yeah. They thought of Jephthah. They figured out the only guy with, this, with his record, with his ways, with his crazy leadership ways, would qualify for the job. So they called the man from Tob. And, uh, and here's uh, some slides on that one. When the Ammonites attacked Israel, the leaders, the leaders of Gilead asked Jephthah to return from Tob to be their commander. How cool is that? and lead them against the Ammonite invaders. And I love Jephthah. He's sitting there going, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. Aren't you the same people who hated me so much that you drove me from my father's house? Aren't you the ones who sent me away? Aren't you the ones that marked me a loser? That marked me a troublemaker? Aren't you the ones that said, hey, look, you're not anything. You're worthless. You're powerless. You don't deserve anything. You go away. And now you come to me and ask me for help? What is up with that? Now, depending on your connection with God, your answer would be different here. I'm not sure. I'll be honest with you. I, would, I might have said, you know what? Good luck, man. You know, you deserve just what you're getting. This is what you asked for. God bless you. I'm going to go back to my gang. The ones who 
respect me. You know, uh, my wife and I were talking about this this morning. She reminded me uh, that uh, when communism was really at its height, they would recruit people that others thought were losers. And they were disadvantaged and they had challenges. But these guys became so loyal and they, because of their hurt, they were brutes. And, and, you know, sometimes those whom we cast away, others find treasures in. You know what I'm talking about? And if we're wondering why there are so many people that are uh, joining gangs or joining some of these terrorist groups, why there are so many people that are, are you know, it's because we keep calling them losers. And they say, look, if you don't want me, somebody else does. But not here. I want you to know that I echo the sentiments of every leader in this church. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what's going on in your life, what is happening around you. It doesn't matter. We love you. There are no losers in this building. In this building, we consider you a winner. In this building, here in this church, we want to figure out a way to engage you in the best possible way so that you can experience the fulfillment that every Christian, every believer should experience. Are you following what I'm saying? This is really important. Some of you are in this building right now and you're feeling like cast you're cast out. You're feeling like you're worthless. You're feeling like you're meaningless. Some of you are in this building right now. Maybe some of you are actually worried that you're going to be sent back somewhere where you, sh- you don't really want to be. You, you want to be here. And I want to promise you that we will do everything within our power to help the world recognize that you are winners and that you belong here. Are you following me? So the leaders of Gilead said, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yes, we are, we're the ones. You know, they're, they're not going to mess around with that. All the same, <laughs> we need your help. I mean, that's the reality here. So listen to what they say. Come, lead us against the Ammonites, and we will make you leader over us all and all who live in Gilead. How cool is that? And Jephthah asked the leaders of Gilead a question. Let me get this straight. Let me make sure I understand this. Are you saying that if I come back with you to fight the the Ammonites and the eternal, the eternal, you know, God allows me to be victorious, are you catching something about this guy? You will really make me your leader? See, there is something about Jephthah that's really important to understand. That even though he was cast out of culture, even though he was cast out of his society, even though he was cast out of everything that he loved and was, he knew that God didn't cast him out. I was watching this show about uh, uh, this gang, MS, I can't think of the name, 13, is it? 
And, and uh, you know, they were interviewing some of these guys, and it was kind of like cloak and dagger kind of stuff. And, but they said, you know, is there any way of getting out of MS-13? And it says, only one way. And that's if you could prove to us that you've become a real Christian. What's up with that, right? You know, here was this guy who was a total outcast, loser by every aspect of the world, and here he says, look, are you telling me that if God gives me victory, you're going to allow me to be your leader? May the eternal be our witness. We will do as you say. How cool is that? What a deal. I don't know about you. This was Jephthah's day, Jephthah's day in court. I mean, he could have said no. Don't you think so? I'm, I'm telling you, I think I might have said that. He could have played the victim. He could have been, you know what, man? I think I deserve more. And I, and, and I, I think, you know, you could have had me when you, when you had the chance. But now, you know, too bad for you. You know, I'm poor. And, you know, I, I mean, he could have done anything. But, but he doesn't do that. This gang leader signs on the dotted line. And predictably, he annihilates, totally destroys the Ammonites. And he gives God the glory. How cool is that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I like Jephthah. He's one of those guys I cannot wait to meet in heaven. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so the top evening news rolls off the press with the headline, Extra, Extra, Loser Becomes Hero, Ex-Con Elected Judge. <laughs> Think about that. Jephthah the Judge. Fellow gangsters had to call him Your Honor. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think there's something funny about that. I think there's things in the Bible that we just don't even understand sometimes. I think God has a sense of humor. With, I think we're going to go to heaven and go, that's really funny, God. I never thought about it that way. What a switch. Jephthah, who had no rightful claim to such a high calling, becomes the judge of Israel. And he doesn't take it for granted. He doesn't take advantage of it. He doesn't take revenge on his half-brothers. He is a rightful judge and leads the armies to victories for six years until he dies. No rightful claim. But that would have been true except for one thing. But for the grace of God, there go I. Do you believe that about yourself? Think about your life right now. Think about your life, what it was a few years ago. And think about what God has promised you that is your inheritance in the future. But for the grace of God, there go I. God finds sinners 
in desperate straits, and he washes their wounds, and he changes their direction, and he turns what the world calls losers into amazing winners. Don't you believe that? So much so that he puts them on a plaque so that everybody would know. All of you have heard of the Hall of Fame of Faith, haven't you? And we can't read the whole thing, but I do want you to read this one part where the author of Hebrews says, I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. That's where I am right right now. I could tell by your faces. (laughs) There are so many more, he says. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. You see him there? In the Hall of Fame of Faith, this loser who becomes somebody. Isn't it great that those of us who recognize that we are not and cannot get to hook up with a person who not only is something but can do everything? And that's Jesus Christ. And it says, through acts of what? Faith. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms. They made justice work. They took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, and sword thrusts. They turned disadvantages to advantage. They won battles. They routed alien armies. They were victorious because of their faith in God. There is not a person in this room that cannot claim God's promises. I don't care what's gone on in your life. I don't know what you're going through, but I, gotta, I just want to tell you right now, in the most simplest way, God loves you so much. And, and, and there is not one aspect in God's eyes, no matter what anybody else has told you, where he thinks of you as a loser. No matter of all the voices and all of the things that you've heard and all of the crazy stuff that's going on in this world today, none of you, none of you are losers. You are all winners in the eyes of God. Are you willing to take that by faith? I heard this educator speak once. She was very famous. Her name is Connie Podesta. And she talked about this little boy named Philip that, he, uh, that she had encountered. And Philip had very poor self-esteem And she was trying to understand why, and so uh, she tried to talk to him about it, but he wouldn't talk about it. And then she said, would you draw? But he wasn't a good drawer, and so he didn't really draw that well. And and so she said, would would you mind writing it down? Would Would you write it down? And so he said, okay. 
So he comes back the next day. They're talking. And Philip handed her two pieces of paper. One was Philip paper, scratch paper. And attached to it was this beautiful stationery with blue parchment. On the Philip paper, in plain text, almost scribbled, Philip writes, Dear Mrs. Podesta, I feel like this sheet of Philip paper. You can buy 500 sheets at a drugstore. It's used for rough drafts. No one thinks a lot about what they are going to write on it. Because if they make a mistake, they can just erase it. You can just wad it up and throw it in the garbage. And then on the stationery, written in Indian ink in calligraphy, he writes these words. What I don't understand is why are there some kids that feel like this piece of stationery? The stationery is so exquisite and so beautiful that no one would use it as a rough draft. People think before they put anything on a piece of stationery because they know that whatever goes on this sheet will stay there until the end of time. I want you to know today that God sees you as that piece of wonderful stationery. And he wants to write on your heart with the most beautiful ink his character. Will you claim those promises by faith? Will you come to him? Will you ask him to fill you with his presence? As we go through this series, Let's, let's make a decision to really be able to see each other and all that's going on around us through the eyes of God.